Um, welcome. I'm so excited uh, in the Good Company podcast. Uh, such a special mm -hmm. guest today. Welcome, Alex Scott. Um, I am so excited to have you. Yeah. You are a narcissistic abuse healing coach through your content, through your programs, through your one-on-one -on -one coaching, through your social media. You help uh, thousands, if not millions of people around the world to um, heal from narcissistic, uh, uh, mm. to break the cycles of toxic relationship and uh, heal, grow and find more aligned, more healthy, less yeah. toxic relationships in, in their lives. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm excited for our conversation today. Perfect. So before we start, I would love to tell your story a little bit. And I have some questions okay. from Audi, uh, as I mentioned to you. I was just like, when I was thinking um, about talking to you, I just started wondering why narcissistic abuse, um, you know, became so hot lately. And it's such a hot topic. You know, this is something that is like, when you, if you look at the history, we have a myth of, uh, who was it, Echo and Narcissus, uh, and, you know, yeah. from Greek, like we know about this excessive selfishness pattern, mm. uh, you know, narcissistic uh, uh, um, uh, disorder was really defined and uh, and and uh, named in I think it was like beginning of 19th century, 20th century, and then like mm. mid, right? Uh, even Freud yeah. was talking about the narcissistic libido. But why now it is such a hot thing? Well, we I more <laughs> narcissists around. Yeah, I don't. I think it's not so much that there's more narcissists. I think there have been a lot of narcissists, but there's been a lack of education on what narcissism is. And I think a lot of I don't think I, I know if we look at the facts, like so many narcissistic tendencies and abuse patterns have been normalized in certain cultures, religions, corporate, you know, corporations, and obviously within relationship because of the trickle down effect. And so I think really what happened and why it's becoming so prevalent, you know, nowadays and like in prevalent, meaning like the word is out. People are starting to learn about what this is and what these behaviors are. I really think COVID gave us an opportunity to focus on mental health. And I think when people started and they especially within the relationship category, if we just look at that or even parents like you are you were stuck in a home with these people for an extended period of time. And I think a lot of people started turning towards social media and different resources like Reddit or Psychology Today articles and all of these different things where they started to learn about what narcissism is. And now that that awareness is there, people are way more confident in standing up and calling it what it is. Whereas before, because of the lack of education and we didn't really have the time to get curious about what we were experiencing, it just flew under the radar and was super normalized. Mm -hmm. 100%. I always thought, you know, with with all the respect to a pandemic and all the awful things it brought on us and sickness yeah. and, 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 and hardship, it was an amazing moment for us to stop Agreed. and look inside and deal with some demons, with some uh, uh, wounds uh, yeah. and certain questions that we've never done before. Um, okay, so let's go back to you. Um, you have this amazing, thriving and, and really helpful even to myself, uh, mm. uh, content and platform, and you share so many 
uh, great tips. But how did it start for you? Can you share with us, uh, you know, how did you dig into your relationship? Yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. <laughs> Buckle up, everybody. Um, so, so I, um, you know, I got like, I'm going to tell you the Cliff Notes version, but basically I got married really young to a guy that I you know, knew my whole life growing up. And after, you know, he was not a narcissist, but the story starts here because I got divorced really young. I was 23 when I got divorced. I was 20 when I got married. And um, as timing would have it, Bumble and Tinder were the new way to date. So I got on these apps after my divorce thinking I was ready to date again and just started having like unhealthy situationship after unhealthy situationship. And then all of a sudden ended up dating a man who confided in me after a year and eight months of the abuse cycle happening that he had gone to court ordered therapy because he assaulted a woman in a club. And yeah, and and when he was in that court ordered therapy, he was diagnosed NPD with borderline traits. And so I was like, okay, this explains a lot, but I also didn't really know much about it. So I started learning. And as I started learning and Googling narcissism, I started to realize like, wait a second, I have a parent that also checks all of these boxes. So then I went and chatted with my sister on it. And she was like, yeah, 100%, like <laughs> that parent fits the bill for that. And so, um, it was at that point where I started to get really curious because I couldn't like there's a sciencey nerdy part of me. I've always been a little bit of a nerd even in high school. And so I started to get really curious about like what's the correlation? Like what is it about our patterning that whatever we're exposed to in childhood leads us to subconsciously seek out similar situations in adulthood even if logically we don't want to. And that's when I started to learn about trauma how it lives in the nervous system, the body, the subconscious mind, and how if left unresolved, like if those wounds are left unresolved, the reason we put ourselves in similar situations like this over and over again is because it's an attempt to heal. And so I started learning that and I, I got really passionate around like, okay, well, now that I understand why I've had failed relationship after failed relationship, and now I know it's because I have these unresolved parent wounds, that means... That if I heal and if I grow and step into a better way of me being and existing on this planet, that my reality, my relationships are going to be so much healthier. My friendships are going to be healthier, more fulfilling, more grounded, more conscious, more stable and all of those things. And so, you know, I, I really like it's not a sexy way to say it, but I pulled up my big girl pants and just took it really seriously because I wanted the healthy conscious relationship of my dreams. Like I wanted that love affair that I read about in books and in movies and all of that. And I wanted to get as close to it as possible, but that meant I needed to change first. And so I started doing that. And now going on eight years later, I've had this business and I've been able to help people all around the world heal, recover and start to date consciously and have heart fulfilling relationships, which is so great. Like one of my clients is in New Zealand and she's like, here's my new guy. You're getting a wedding invite. If we get married, like that is the most fulfilling thing to hear from my past clients, you know? Oh my God. So that's, um, that's, um, that's amazing. Um, going back to one thing you said mm -hmm. um, about, you know, checklist that you did on your parent, um, you know, and your content is wonderful. Whoever wants to educate themselves more, what are like, mm -hmm. let's say three red flags that um, anybody can or four or whatever you think it's important to look at to spot 
narcissist or understand that you are in the relationship yeah um, when the narcissistic abuse may be happening yeah um before i have a brain fart moment let me yeah. let me write down exactly what i want to share because i will if i might forget so here's the deal um i would say there's three really important things to look for and i'm going to share them in that order so the very first one that is so important is a pattern of behaviors okay so narcissistic abuse is cyclical it's like a merry-go-round of chaos that continuously repeats itself and the four phases of the narcissistic abuse cycle are one love bomb slash idolize right so that's where everything feels really good they're saying all the right things they're buying you gifts they're paying you attention and they're getting giving you affection in all the ways some of my clients like to call this the sex bombing phase because a lot of narcissistic people rely on sexual chemistry to kind of have their i hate to use this word but it's true victims of their abuse like kind of fall prey to that rose-colored glasses so you know a lot of uh, moving too fast happens in the love bombing phase a lot of where have you been all my life you're the perfect partner for me future faking as well will show up here like someday when we're married and we have two kids and three dogs like they start to paint this very romantic picture constant contact as well like you can always spot a manipulator uh, when they take up a lot of space in the room, right? They, they don't let you think, they don't let you have a lot of time to yourself to kind of like see how you're feeling away from them. So that's the first phase. Then we go into the devaluing phase, which is really where the majority of the, the abuse starts to happen. This is where the triangulation happens. Well, my ex wouldn't do that or my ex would dress this way, that comparison with a parent. It could be like, well, so-and-so's daughter or your sister or your brother, right? That kind of comparison comes in. And it's a way to shame you, to get you to act the way they want you to, right? So that's <laughs> triangulation, blame shifting, you know, well, maybe we could have a healthy relationship if you would just do this, or maybe I wouldn't yell at you if you could just be like this, right? Blame shifting happens, the gaslighting, which I'm sure we can dig in more because that's a big one here. But gaslighting is a form of psychological abuse that narcissistic people will use to make their victims doubt their own reality and memory and experiences. Um, and reactive abuse takes place here as well. There's so much. And then from there, the next phase, the third phase is the discard where they completely remove themselves from the situation. So for some case, in my case with my narcissistic ex, it was chronic cheating. Um, they would just disappear, stop replying to my texts, go oh. have a fling with someone else. So it can turn up as ghosting. It can turn up as the silent treatment. It can turn up as cheating. It can turn up as just like literally disappearing from your life, blocking you on social media will happen here too. Um, and then the fourth phase is the Hoover. And this is the part that really screws with the survivors of these situations minds because the Hoover phase is when the narcissist will show up on your doorstep, visit you at work, run run into you in places that I'm you sorry, frequent. I'm sorry. Like yeah. just suddenly out of the blue. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. You're right. And they'll maybe send you a low effort text like, hi, I miss you. Right. Just and the whole point of the Hoover phase, and it's called Hoover specifically named after the vacuum, right? Because the point of the Hoover phase is to suck you back into the cycle. And so this is where myself really, I got like the cognitive dissonance is what it's called, where your brain is trying to make sense of two different realities. So how can this person be so great? And then all of a sudden, so hideous, this Jekyll Hyde dynamic. And so when a survivor is going through the Hoover phase, 
for me, what came up a lot was like, this person must really love me if they keep coming back. Like they've been with other women. Like if they didn't care about me that much, they would just leave. Right. But that's exactly what the narcissist wants you to think. And so I fell prey to that for a very long time before I wisened up to the cycle. And then I used that cycle actually as a catalyst to get out, which we can talk about if you'd like in a little bit. But yes. that would be my my first thing is like you have to look for the pattern of behaviors. There have been, you know, there's so many forms of gaslighting, for example, that have been normalized, like toxic positivity. Don't cry. You have nothing to be sad about. It's going to be okay. Like that's technically a form of gaslighting, but that doesn't mean that that person is a narcissist. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, um, same thing with the silent treatment. Some people get really overwhelmed with conflict, so they shut down and it might come across as the silent treatment, but they're really in a nervous system state where they're not able to speak. And so the reason I share that is I have people reach out who are questioning if the person they're with is truly a narcissist or if their parent is truly a narcissist. And my first thing I always say is you have to look for the cycle. If the cycle is repeating over and over again, there is a high possibility that that person is narcissistic or possibly diagnosable narcissist. The other thing I want to say is boundary violations are a huge thing. Narcissists hate boundaries, which is why for anyone listening to this, you're like, how do I make sure I don't have narcissistic people in my life? Set your boundaries, say no, see how they respond. If you say, hey, don't visit me right now. I need space. I need to heal. They show up on your door. They call. Right. Yes. They they don't respect that. Right. So that's for. Yeah, exactly. And they or they even like shame you. Like, well, if you really loved me or if you really if you for and a lot of narcissists hide behind religion, too. Right. Like, well, I'm an imperfect person. You can't judge me. Only God can judge me. Like they'll use that as a way to hide behind. If you didn't do it. Yes. 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 And so when, you know, when we look at setting boundaries and holding our boundaries or honoring our no, you know, within healthy relationships, a healthy human is going to want to respect that and and treat you with kindness because they would want the same. Right. Right. But a narcissist, again, kind of like similar to taking up a lot of space for the manipulation, a narcissist doesn't want to give you time alone. They don't want to give you time to think and decompress because when you do have that time and you get enough of it, you start to see things way more clearly. You're like, whoa, why am I here? And so, there and you heal and you have more energy of you, right? Not this yes. population craziness that you don't even know what is true, what is not, what is whose fault it is. Am I the who's emotionally unstable or yeah. screaming all the time or blowing up? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the last sign that I like to say, and this has been, it's very polarizing. Some people completely agree with me and some people don't. But from my experience, um, both with my narcissistic ex and my narcissistic parent and a lot of my clients who will stand by this, is that truly narcissistic, severely narcissistic people do not have deep, fulfilling friendships. So narcissism, they might have enablers, they might have flying monkeys, meaning people who enable their abuse, who don't truly know them, they only know the surface level mask of them. And so they might be have casual friends like acquaintances or people that they hang out with every once in a while, but they don't have friends that they call when they're like crying and having a bad day or like, I need support. And like, can you help me look at this from a new perspective? And this is what I'm going through. They don't have friendships like that. And the reason for that is narcissists perceive vulnerability as weakness. And so a narcissist's relationships are never going to be truly deep 
and soul satisfying because that emotional intimacy is never there. Mm -hmm. And so in my opinion, you know, the first two are absolutely factual. Look for the pattern, look for the boundary violations and how they react to your no. But the last thing is, is if you're in a relationship with someone who does not have friends, does not have guys nights, girls nights, people that they spend time with outside of the relationship that they've known for years that know they're in, you know, their weaknesses, their strengths, that is something to pay attention to because we all know that if the relationship is is the only thing in their world, right, that exists, that is putting a lot of pressure on the relationship. It's not healthy. So, you know, when you look at someone who you might suspect with narcissistic tendencies or potentially a full-blown narcissist, you want to look for those things. How do they have soul-fulfilling relationships outside of the relationship with me? You know, someone they can call and lean on. Are they following the narcissistic abuse cycle and do they violate my boundaries and, and disrespect my no? Those are the top three, I would say. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, a couple of things that came up when you were talking, and I know you mentioned you have sister and you have mentioned gaslighting and triangulation. I think that's a very interesting uh, thing I would love to touch base on, especially yeah. in the context of siblings. Because I think this is a very, <laughs> very interesting uh, context of narcissistic parents and, and sibling, mm. what's going on with that uh, relationship. Do you mind speaking a little bit about that? Like, how does it look? How does it shows up in the within the family system, within the siblings um, and yeah. uh, relationship? Totally. So traditionally with narcissistic parents and, and their kids, it tends to be depending on how many children are in the household, but some will be the golden child and some will be the scapegoat. And these roles can reverse depending on what is convenient for the narcissistic parent. And so my sister, you know, she's technically my half sister. She's nine years older than me. She had her own private relationship with my mom when my mom was a single mom before I came into the world. Right. Hmm. And so very much like for the majority of my childhood and even my my life in general, I was very much the scapegoat in the family and my sister was the golden child, right? Be more like your sister, dress like your sister, look like your sister, act like your sister, right? Like she she's beautiful, like God knows my sister's gorgeous. But I grew up because of that messaging thinking I was ugly, I'm not good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not smart enough, right? Um, and so that's just one example. The other thing with gaslighting is, you know, it's a one-two punch with narcissists. And this is true for parents and partners. But, you know, it's one thing to be like, that didn't happen, right? That's technically a form of gaslighting because you're you're telling someone what they think happened didn't happen. But really, the, the, the issue with gaslighting with the narcissist is the second hit, which was, you're crazy. You're making things up you're dramatic. So gaslighting, you are, with, you are always blowing right. up. It's a character attack. Because, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. And so that's what I really want people to pay attention to, because sometimes healthy individuals can be like, well, I don't remember it happening that way, or that's not what I remember. But that doesn't mean they're gaslighting you. But guaranteed, if someone states something like that, like that's not what happened, you're making things up, you're crazy, you're imagining things, that's gaslighting. They're saying, again they're attacking your character to get you off of their trail yeah and, and so perception on reality and your experience yes. thing so like you exactly. don't have your own experience the only valid experience is theirs and you exactly are 
you're always wrong. And so as a child growing up, I have very vivid memories where I would witness something and then confront them about it and be told that I was imagining things and things like that. And so the wound that that really left with me was self-doubt. I was always, you know, I used to really identify as someone who was an overanalyzer, someone who was anxious um, because of the immense amount of self-doubt and second guessing I was always in, right? It was like, well, should I do this or should I do that? Or did that really happen? Or am I making that up? Am I remembering that correctly? And that literally quite fast or even faster than how I just spoke would run through my mind constantly. And so what it really did is it turned into me being paralyzed, like analysis paralysis all the time, even with things like Amazon purchases. Like I would be like, do I really, it's self gaslighting. Do I really need a new thing of toothpaste or can I get a little bit more out of my current tube of toothpaste? And that sounds ridiculous, but I have had so many clients be like, it's a thing because you have been told your whole life with the narcissistic parent, you don't need things, you know, or uh, even just basic needs. Like, for example, my my parent and really parents in this way, but my stay at home uh, parent was the narcissistic parent. And so even though they were around me all of the time, never made sure I brushed my teeth, never made sure I did my homework. Like there was none of that. I was basically a little adult from the time I was a kid, you know? So that's a lot of how a narcissistic parent, and I'm, again, physical abuse can be prevalent. Like I very much was fearful of my parent because I got the wooden spoon and the belt. And so it's just like, you live in fear of the narcissistic parent. And then because of that fear, you get into adult romantic relationships where you end up becoming fearful of your partner. You yeah, don't know. Type of love you learn. That's the type right. of you know, And this is where you gravitate, right? Because that's the normal. Exactly. And the concept of feeling safe in a relationship is so foreign to you that that doesn't make sense. Like I remember thinking like, there's men out there that'll like cuddle you while you cry. What? Like that's a thing because I never got that from my narcissistic parent. It was always stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about, right? The threat. And so I didn't understand how healthy partners could exist because I had never experienced that. And that's what I really see with my clients is they come into my world thinking that a healthy, loving, soul satisfying relationship's a pipe dream. They're like, yeah, right. No way. <laughs> And the truth is, is that there are so many healthy human beings out here looking for partners just like you. It's just how do you actually begin to seek those out while you're dating, right? Mm -hmm. And get away from the narcissistic partners. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, amazing. So where we are, we are here, we spotted narcissists, right? Like we know that mm -hmm. we are either, you know, our parents is a narc or, or we're in a relationship with narcissists. Yeah. You think are three or whatever I said three, uh, but what are the most important steps to take? You know, I think that you know parents yeah. are different because that's the relationship that it's like you know harder to break or or uh, right or it, it's a parent, right? Yeah. Um, but either way, like, what is important to start addressing the pattern you may be attracting, but also yeah. sure you're safe, you're healthy um and start the process you know besides yeah. turning your program and learning more or even you know learning yeah. more from your content yeah so um safety is the number one thing and so if there has been physical violence or a threat of physical violence that you think they may act on i 
I would rather, and I say this to people all of the time, I would rather you come up with a super, super safe exit strategy, lean on local women's shelters or the domestic violence hotline, anything like that, and come up with a safe exit strategy is what it's called. Um, and I'd rather you have all of that put in place and not have to use it then think to yourself, I don't need that, or I really don't want to go through the hassle of getting, you know, authorities or resources involved. Like, I just kind of want to do this on my own and then wishing you had been safer. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So, so you, everyone listening, like, you know, the narc in your life best. And like, again, if there, if there's any threat of physical violence that you are anxious may come to fruition, lean on your resources, please, please, please. So that's the first thing I, I just, you know, due diligence. I have to say that as a practitioner. Um, the other things are if you are not financially independent, get a job, figure out a way to have your fine. A lot of financial abuse happens within narcissistic relationships. So that is something that needs to happen quickly. Figure out a way to have money so that you can leave the relationship and be on your own. Um, do not call the narcissist out. So many people think if they tell the narcissist that they are a narcissist, that they'll see the light and like change their ways. It's actually the opposite. More abuse will ensue. And so the best way, the safest way to show up in a narcissistic relationship and evade abuse is to be a people pleaser. And, you know, this is called a fawn response in the nervous system. And I want to say this. There is a difference between unconsciously people pleasing, which you've probably yeah. do been doing up until this moment that you listen to this podcast, right? Um, but moving forward, I want to say there's a difference between unconsciously people pleasing and consciously people pleasing. And if you're in an environment that's unsafe where you know it's going to be safest for you to people please and let them have their way, do that until you can get out of the environment, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um so that would be those are my tips. The way that I I plotted my escape. And if you are with a narcissistic person, you know that that rings true. It's like, it's not a normal breakup. You literally have to think ahead. It's like a chess match. And so going back to what I shared before, I hinted at like how I use the abuse cycle to leave, right? So as I started to realize like, okay, the pattern is love bomb, devalue, discard, Hoover. Yeah. I started to plan ahead by in the love bombing phase, I would I would be at their place and I knew I was going to leave the next time the cycle came through, which for my ex narcissist was about a two week window, that cycle would happen really quickly. Mm -hmm. And so I started grabbing any clothes, toothbrush, whatever that I was leaving at their place. I still had my own apartment at the time. I didn't move in with them, thank God. But I was grabbing any any of my personal items that I had left and slowly but surely taking them back to my place. Right. Mm -hmm. And then as the discard happened where he cheated on me again, I very much was just like I this is going to sound funny, but I kind of played dumb. It was just like, oh, OK, like, yeah, if you met someone else, that's a better fit for you. Wish you guys all the best. Goodbye block, block, block immediately. Like I blocked on social media, blocked the phone number, everything, because what starts to happen is when the narcissist realizes that you've gotten wise to their situation, yeah. they will start to come after you. 
right? And in a different start a smear way, campaign. Right? Through yeah. people, through triangulation or right. other ways, they will try to get to you. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so I let, the, we had one really good mutual friend who had been with, like, who watched us be on and off and on and off and on and off. And they knew it wasn't healthy. And by then, even though they were mutual friends with both of us, and again, very surface level friendship on his end, on my ex-narcissist end, but this gal was someone I would go to and like cry every time we broke up, right? So she knew she wanted better for me by that point. So she, I told her, I'm like, look, I'm leaving and I need you to hold me accountable for leaving. And if he tries to get in contact with you to get in contact with me, please help me hold this boundary. And I don't want to hear about it. And she's like, got it. Right. So having a good support system in place is huge, no matter how that works out for you. Again, local shelters are a great resource. Online communities as well, huge resource. And so I just plotted my escape at that discard. I, I let him leave. I already had all my belongings at my home. I hit the block button everywhere. He started emailing me. I started forwarding his emails to spam automatically. Um, and then I, you know, I used to volunteer at a church. He showed up at the place I volunteered at to try and get my attention my, and brought me a gift. So love bombing, right? Brought me a gift and I gray rocked him, which is just a fancy way of not letting, you know, saying, not letting the narcissist get a reaction out of you. So instead of me being like, oh, hi, or go away angry, it was just like, hello, I don't want to talk to you right now leave me alone. Very unemotional, short to the point. Um, when that happened and he gave me this gift, I immediately went inside. Our mutual friend was there. So I gave her the gift and she went and talked to him and was like, go away. <laughs> um, and I waited for her to come get me in the bathroom. And like, that was it. It was just like, you know, I did not go to my car without a friend in that environment because he knew where I was, you know, and that's really like as uncomfortable as it sounds, but it's the truth. Like that's really what you need to do is to think ahead and say, where does this person, you know, how they know I show up at these places, what different, you know, friends, support systems can I ask? Maybe if I was like at a shop, I would have asked one of the associates to walk me to my car really quick, or at least watch me walk to my car to make sure I was okay. You know what I mean? And that's really what you need to do. And you got to take it seriously because what I find happening um, and the reason these cycles continue for years and years is that people don't think it through enough in advance. And then they either fall prey to the manipulation that the narcissist will hoover with because they haven't thought ahead like, oh, this could be a manipulation tactic. Or two, they put themselves in an unsafe situation and end up falling back into the cycle because it feels safer to stay because they didn't have the resources in place, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for sharing this, these. Um, really quickly, um, you know, obviously we talked to, uh, here about a little bit extreme situations and yeah. those are so important because those are extreme. But um, I want to touch base on emotional abuse because I feel yeah. like, you know, overall, you know, when somebody, um, I'm sorry for just saying it straightforward, you get beat up by somebody, there are yeah. signs of it and it's taken seriously. But I think, and I'm getting chills right now, which means that it's important. There, yeah. There's something that we are not talking about, um, about this constant emotional abuse, the small comments like, oh my yep. God, your hair are thinning on your forehead. You're getting older. Uh, like, yeah. oh, oh my God. Yeah. No, or straight saying like, you are an idiot, right? Or yep. like, um, again, boundaries, this, uh, yeah. you know, 
saying, hey, please give me a space. I'm healing. Um, don't show up. And they're showing up on your doorstep. That's a that's emotional abuse. Somebody can see it like, yeah. what? Um, they just show up on your door. Like be an adult, deal with it, right? But it is this constant dripping of self mm -hmm. of emotional abuse, which is I think it's very narcissistic because it's very narcissists. I think are very smart. They are geniuses. They are. Yeah. I think they do it because not emotional abuse don't don't you don't see the scar. You know, no. the scar is internal, is deep, and it's it's yeah. just pouring this acid through the small comments, through the small. Yeah. Um, so what is your take on it? Because I think we don't yeah. think that it is um, uh, it is very um, dangerous, you know, As because bad. Yeah. bad, right? Yeah, but it's uh, the science shows that emotional, verbal, mental abuse are just as bad as physical. So that's that. Like, it's true, um, especially chronic exposure to those things because of the cognitive dissonance. And a lot of my clients come to me and they have even myself like complex PTSD, right? CPTSD. We hear a lot about PTSD, which stems from acute traumatic events. So you know, a little bit of a trigger warning here, but things like rape or shootings or muggings, like those are acute traumatic events. They're a, a one, a one time event that's really intense. Right. But chronic trauma is, is emotional, mental, maybe physical abuse exposed to over a period of time. And complex trauma is a combination of both chronic trauma and the acute trauma, which is narcissistic abuse. Right. And so a lot of my clients come to me thinking that they're struggling with PTSD, but it's really CPTSD because of the mind and what's happening in the, in the mind from the emotional and verbal and mental abuse that you're talking about. And it is just as detrimental because of the way that it causes you to perceive everything, right? Like perceive the world, perceive other people, perceive what's possible for you in your life, perceive relationships, perceive jobs. Like there's so many different things even like last night you know i was watching um have you heard of the show naked and afraid it's ridiculous oh my okay. daughter's favorite <laughs> yeah okay so like i so that's it's a survival show and i'm sitting here watching these two people interact and they're making complete assumptions about the other person based off their own past experiences that is yeah. what is a trauma lens right so it really becomes like almost a set of glasses that are broken when you have unresolved trauma that you see and also hear and interpret the world. And so, you know, what really is sad about, in my opinion, what the saddest thing is about the emotional abuse and mental and verbal abuse that people go through in these relationships is yes, you're absolutely right. People don't take it seriously. Also, our justice system doesn't have a way to hold people accountable because there isn't, like you said, a scar, a bruise, a broken arm. So it's really hard to track. Um, and I really hope that someday someone figures out how to make our justice system hold people accountable for emotional, physical, uh, emotional, mental and um, uh, verbal abuse. Um, but the thing that really breaks my heart and I was here, so I get this is like the amount of, of sadness and anxiety and depression and just lack like low quality of life that a person with CPTSD deals with from day in and day out is what makes me passionate about this work because it doesn't need to be that way. Yeah. But waking up and having the first thought that crosses your mind of like, when can I go back, like back to bed again? Right. 
that used to be me. Like I didn't want to get up. I was like, I'm just the only time I feel okay is if I'm asleep. Right. And even then I was struggling with insomnia. So the sleep wasn't even truly recharging. It was just like a means to an end. And so things like that. And also, like I said, struggling with chronic anxiety, I was always worried. I was always hypervigilant. I was always reading into everything and feeling like everyone was mad at me all the time. These are all symptoms of complex PTSD. And it leads to a life where you just feel shitty. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Like, you just feel uncomfortable, sad, apathetic, you know, kind of numb, just disinterested. And it doesn't need to be that way. I understand it's that way. Mm -hmm. And I know why it's that way. But for anyone listening to this where you're like, that's me right now, I just want you to know there is an answer, right? Like you can heal and really start to love your life. But that's my biggest thing is it's really sad. The amount of, of and even physical symptoms, that's the other thing. Abuse leads to physical illness, even mental, emotional abuse, gut issues, yeah. IBS, Crohn's disease, acid reflux, right? So, you know, and that was me. I had really bad IBS for quite some time because of my unresolved trauma. And, mm -hmm. you know, doctors, and don't get me wrong, love Western medicine. I'm so thankful for it. But the thing is, is that doctors are trained to get rid of the symptom, which is how can I have you not struggling with IPS? Here's a pill, here's a diet, here's a supplement, whatever it is. But it's not the underlying cause, it's the yeah. trauma. Yeah, like a prolonged stress. Um, yeah, there is prolonged stress, fear, uh, constant vigilance, and yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 Trauma keeps the score for sure. Yeah. Um, question from audience. Okay. So, narcissistic parent um, and uh, and partner of a person who has narcissistic parent, how they can support? Because I think it's a very interesting again triangle. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but how they can support the partner who is dealing with, um, with, uh, you know, parent or a friend who, um, who has a friend in the narcissistic relationship. I think that's more easier. I think yeah. the situation, I feel like it's more complex when, when there is a partner and the part other partner has a, a narcissistic parent. Yeah. So, um, I mean, first of all, my question for this person that I would want clarity on is, is the partner aware that their parent is the narcissist? Because sometimes what happens is the partner knows that the in-law is a narcissist, but the actual... Yes, I think they both are, from what I understand, they both are. Okay, okay great. So assuming that that's the case, um, you know, like really just providing a space of emotional safety for this person to share as much or as little as they want, right? Because <laughs> the thing about discovering that you have a narcissistic parent is it's a huge reality pill to swallow and it's really uncomfortable and no child, you know, the way that we're designed as a species is we have deep attachment when we're born into this world. And so it's really hard for a child to look at the parent and be like, oh my God, this is an abuser. What do I do now? Like that, yeah. just getting there is so hard. So don't rush them to get to that place. If they are at that place, then the next conversation would be like, look, it's you two against the world. Like you're, I used, I, I had to start making, saying this to myself. And this was the saying that really like changed the game for me with my narcissistic parent was I don't want to protect my past, meaning the narcissistic parent 
at the expense of my future, meaning my future partner. Mm -hmm. And so when you are in a relationship with someone and you see that they have a parent who's a narcissist, you both really need to take this mindset of it's you too. That's mm -hmm. the world that you're protecting against the narcissistic influence and parent, the right? Piece, so it's like uh, the new life you're building, the safe yes. have the the just peace of mind, peace of sanctuary of your home, like yes, our world. And so finding ways that you can work and again using what you know about narcissism, narcissism to your benefit. So for example, boundaries and saying no, right? Like the narcissist is never going to respect the boundary. So you need to understand that just setting a boundary doesn't mean the narcissist is going to honor it. They won't. So what is the uncomfortable part is holding the boundary. So if you put a consequence in place, like let's say you're over for holiday dinner and they're bringing up a topic that you've asked them to not talk about, you can remind them and be like, i you know, I prefer we don't talk about this because I value our time trying to just spend the holiday together. Can you please not bring it up? If you bring it up again, we'll go, we'll leave. So guaranteed the narcissist is going to do what? Poke again, because they want to see if you're going to actually stay true to what you're saying. So when they violate the boundary again, you have to hold the boundary by saying, okay, I told you we were going to go. That's what happened. This is the consequence of your behavior. It sounds like you're treating this person, this narcissist, like a child. But you have to, you have to, because they are essentially a child in a grown up onesie, right? Like they're acting like a two year old by poking and prodding and making fun of your boundaries and what you need. So you have to show them that you mean what you say by holding the boundary that you set. Mm -hmm. Same thing goes with children. Let's say, like, you know, I'm of the mindset that if you know that this in-law is a narcissist, I would limit the amount of exposure my kid has with them unsupervised, right? And so if you are with them in an environment and you see the narcissistic grandparent talking to the kid in a way, you need to say, don't talk to my child that way, right? We speak life to my kid. We don't cut them down. We don't shame them. If you do that again, I'm going to take the kid and go, you mm -hmm. know, and you have to honor that, right? Or if you catch that happening, I'm not going to let you watch my kid if you keep treating them like that, right? Um, so that's one thing. The other thing that I would say is going back, you just said it, like protecting your home, like your home is your sanctuary. And I don't know about anyone else, but for me, having my narcissistic parent in my apartment, my home was so dysregulating to my nervous system and my space that I started to set a boundary. And I never said this. I never was like, you're not allowed to come here anymore. But whenever there was a conversation around like, well, I want to see you, I would go to them because I did not want them in my space specifically right? Mm -hmm. So little things like that, instead of allowing them to come over to your home, you go to theirs or you go to a neutral space at a park or something like that, where it's easier for you to leave because it's much harder to kick a narcissist out of your space than for you to leave a narcissist space. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So those would be the things that I would, I would really, if I had a partner who had a narcissistic parent, those would be the conversations I would be having. And I would really be bolstering our relationship being like, look, it's, I have your back. I have your best interest in mind. Yeah. What do we desire for our relationship? How can we get there together? And like you two become the team that has to put together the blueprint to protect your relationship and your kids moving forward, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think there's something important that you are mentioning. It's like, you know, narcissist creates this world that you like, you have no idea what's going on. It's such a chaos. You don't know if you are losing your mind, yeah. losing your shit. No. And yeah. then 
know, being having a partner next to you that is like, no, I see it too. I see it. Uh, I see through it. So validating. Relation, because otherwise, I feel like you can go crazy or like oh my god is the, and also being a for example somebody who experienced that you probably um doubt yourself and you're like yep. maybe i am wrong i am wrong i'm yep. probably a bad person right yeah so that's really interesting yeah um and coming out uh, of that there was one more question but i always it always happens to me like there's just so many yeah yeah, yeah. no that's good <laughs> um and they are then uh disappearing but oh, you, I know. Uh, I think there is also important thing is that you know narcissists uh, in their genius of manipulation, like people can have a different experiences of narcissistic person. So 100%. you, like, somebody from outside, may have, and they usually do that. They have this like amazing, beautiful, loving relationship with many people around. And then if you say something like, "What are you talking about?" Right? Like, what? It's a yeah. A, person they are helping so many people they are always there for you great advice and they are loving yeah. and look at the relationship with other sibling like uh, and i think this is also important to know that there is this like several worlds almost going on and your experience you somebody can be really singled out by narcissists because that's where they take energy from that's where yep. they feed uh, you are a feeder when the other world is experiencing this amazing with their limited act with the exposure uh, you yep. know this amazing person right mm -hmm. yeah it really depends on the kind of narcissism so like covert narcissism very similar and communal yeah. narcissism also very similar to what you're describing so communal narcissism are people who are like humanitarian service like they, but then they use that as a way to shame others. It's like, I donated millions of dollars to this organization. What are you doing? You know, I adopted 50 puppies. Like, how are you saving the animals? Like they get very, um, and like you said, in their service world, like the people that they donate to or the people that they give volunteer time to, they see them as like Joan of Arc, right? Like just this wonderful, amazing yeah. provider. But then behind closed doors, they unleash their abuse. Same thing with covert narcissists. To the world, it's like they're charming. They know what how to play it, right? How to play the part. But behind closed doors, it's they unleash their abuse. So, you know, this is why I have a community like and I created that because when we come together, I was just saying this in my uh, NARC parent recovery program yesterday, but when we come together and we actually say like, this is my experience, this is what I've been through we start to hear that like our stories aren't that different and because the narcissist like and the more i study this the more fascinating it is it's like every narcissist plays from the same handbook like they're all doing the same types of tactics yeah. and so when we share what we've been through we feel we don't feel crazy anymore we feel seen and understood right and then we're able to move forward in our healing and really like own what we've been through right um but yeah i mean the the reality is that this is why I caution people like you can't just go to other family members and be like, you know, my mom or my dad's a narcissist. And like even in work settings, sometimes you can't just bl blurt that out or friend groups or whatever because of that 
again, they're getting one version of the narcissist publicly, but another one behind closed doors. And that's why it's like going into a practitioner's office who knows about narcissism and, and the intricacies of narcissism, getting involved in a community about it and like learning and, and really hearing other people's stories is so beneficial because again, that is where that awareness and honestly, like the relief of okay, that is what I've been through. That is my story. That is accurate, right? And this is a part of their game can come from. But going to people who, you know, might be mutual friends with the narcissist and don't know what you've been through privately and haven't seen it, haven't seen how the narcissist treats you, they will unintentionally gaslight you and question your experience, which causes you even more self-doubt. And so it's, you know, I always caution people. It's like, just because you know this, like, don't be a whistleblower in the sense of like going around to all of their friends and yeah. family or even to them saying they're a narcissist. It's not going to help you in the way that you think it's going to help you. Um, yeah. It usually comes back to bite you. And so, yeah, it's it's a painful thing to go through. Now, for those other inst like forms of narcissism where we have like over malignant, right, all of those antagonistic uh, narcissism. It's easier to spot because that facade isn't as consistent. The other thing is, is that over time, the masks usually fall off, um, even to friend groups. And so I was taught, you know, I'll share this actually, a bit of my partner's story. He dated a gal a couple years ago, super narcissistic. And he lost friends over it at first when they broke up because she started this smear campaign against him and all this stuff about like a couple years went by and the same friends that he lost reached out to him apologizing saying i'm so sorry i had no idea this person was this way because in time the mask fell off and they saw this gal for who she was and so you know for anyone out there that's like really because it can be painful like losing friends over something like this right but yeah. i want to just say the thing that gets me through this and all of my clients through this are that if someone isn't open-minded about hearing what you've been through with someone and understanding your story and your pain and your experiences then they aren't someone that's meant for your life you see and what i'm saying your friend. yeah let them go let them disqualify themselves because it's like it'll become so clear for the people who truly love you and have your best interest in mind they're going to want to understand they're going to want to hear you out but if they aren't like that then okay thanks for playing like mm -hmm. you know it's just it's not going to serve your life yeah and i think you are bringing something that um going back to something we talk about you know spotting narcissists that they don't have friends but it this is the tricky one and i think you just mentioned yep. because you know kids of narcissistic parents or somebody who is used to this narcissistic pattern they also like are are scared of new relationship it's hard for yep. them to develop intimacy because they they are super vigilant they never know who they're going to attract what if they yep. attract another narcissist so they always have this barrier on intimacy because they are coming from abusive emotionally abusive relationship situation narcissistic situation so i think that's yep. why the sign you know about relationships uh not having relationships may be a little tricky because i feel like sometimes it's, it's hard to build them when you are coming from situation when for example parent even told you like you don't have friends. Nobody's uh, 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 nobody is um, honest with you. Nobody's authentic with you. Nobody cares about you, right? Right. It's how you build the friendships later, right? I think this is yeah. the uh, there is a tricky. 
But anyway, we could probably talk forever. But I know uh, that so important in the process of healing, um, mm -hmm. any kind of abuse, but we are here talking about narcissistic abuse, is really re regulating your nervous system and working with yes. your I love, you know, uh, body keeps the score. Um, yes. Of that our body holds all these energies, all this stress, all this PTSD, all this uh, mm -hmm. con continuous um, emotional uh, and any other abuse. So what are your some of your favorite things you do even for your body? Because, you know, yes. kind of talk about first three steps, what to do um, to start healing process, but maybe some simple tricks if you have, and I know you do. <laughs> Even yes, you shared some breathing. But what is your favorite, or what is what helped you the most, or you still practice and you find very very helpful? Um, well, I regulate my nervous system twice a day, every day. It's like okay. it's become my date with myself. Like I really view it that way. My my real big goal, because I think people have this idea that healing is uncomfortable and scary and takes a long time and my like first of all i just want to call bullshit on that it doesn't need to take a long time with the right steps my clients make insane results within four to six weeks because of the nervous system work that we're about to talk about so just want to say that but two, my other goal as a practitioner is to make the healing journey a vibe like it's something that you actually look forward to doing because when we can really like luxuriate the healing process, it becomes something that one, we want to do for ourselves more often, but then it, be, it really adds into that layer of self-love. It's like, Ooh, I really look forward to this time. So I, you know, for example, this morning, I literally did breath work. I, I breath, I do breath work and tapping every day, tapping also known as emotional freedom technique, where we <laughs> stimulate the meridian points of the body. Um, but cold exposure is wonderful. So that can be, I, how do you I like know. it? I hate it so much. So even just starting in your shower, like we don't all need to just plunge into a cold body of water that can be really overwhelming for the nervous system at first. But even just like, let's say you have your, you take your normal hot shower, right? And then you turn it to cold for the last 30 seconds. Okay. And the tip I'll give you is to start breathing before you turn it to cold, right? Prepare yourself oh, for it. Mm -hmm. Right. So deep belly breath right? And then turn it to cold. Even if you're doing 30 seconds and ideally you scale up to like a minute, you know, minute and a half, two minutes. Um, but what you're doing is you're increasing your nervous system's tolerance for stress. And then the next question I get is like, why do we want to increase our tolerance for stress? Because that is what builds the resiliency and mm -hmm. allows us to not be as easily triggered. That's why we want to build. Like when we experience a trigger, it means our nervous system has less resiliency for the intensity of whatever just happened, right? But when we have a larger resiliency window of tolerance is what it's called in the nervous system, mm -hmm. we are less and less triggered. It gives us that buffer moment to be like, ooh, instead of responding that way, I'm going to respond this way, right? So cold exposure is great. Singing is a form of regulating. Mm -hmm. Singing. singing. Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh singing. I have to say, my, all my singing in the car is paying off right now. It is. Yes. That's one of my clients. That's her favorite way to regulate. She gets in her car, she turns the volume up and just has her own carpool karaoke with herself. Yeah. And by the time she gets to work, she's like, I feel great. Um, but singing, humming, gargling even is a form of regulating. Mm -hmm. Mm hmm. Um. There's so many different tricks, but I would say the my favorites are definitely breath work, 
tapping and using my five senses really intentionally. I use, and the reason I love those is you can do those anywhere. Like you don't need a shower. You don't need, you know, aromatherapy. Like you, you can do that on your own. Right. And so it's nice to build, you know, a practice, a regulation practice. I like to say a toolkit of things that you can do on the go and things you can do at home. Mm -hmm. Because for example, they're using five senses that will be like, I don't know, you are somewhere and you are touching fabric, smelling it, looking at the color consciously, like you're using your uh, senses or experience here and now present. Exactly. And I, you know, I use, I've used five senses grounding at the grocery store. Once I was like really in a flight response where I was like, I need hurry up. Like this line is taking too long. So like I could sense, like I was feeling that sense of urgency, which means my nervous system's in a flight response. And so what did I do? I'm standing there with my grocery cart and I just put my head down and I'm like, okay, what can I hear? And I start paying attention to like the beep, beep, beep of the cash register as they're scanning things. I could hear the Ed Sheeran Uh. song they were playing, right? I could hear people walking, right? Okay, what can I smell? Can I smell anything, right? Okay, I smell the rotisserie chicken. What else can I smell, right? And so those are ways to bring yourself back into the present moment. I also use five senses grounding on my AM walks with my little pup. It's such a beautiful thing. It's such a great way. I It brings me so much gratitude in the morning because you get to admire, like, look at all the different colors of green on that tree, you know, and, and look at the different, I live by a giant mountain. So it's like, look at all the difference of colors and shades on the mountain. And what can I smell? Sometimes those are pleasant smells. Sometimes it's trash or my dog's poop, you know, but it's like, we're paying yeah. attention. And, and the reason this works is when you're consciously noticing these things and appreciating them your brain can't be ruminating on other things that's yeah, why it works in the moment versus on the train yeah. to you know emotional disaster that your brain right. is used to because you are in you know accessing exactly uh, known to your body areas yeah that's amazing thank you so much last question popped up okay is it normal that uh kids <laughs> i promise this is the last one is it normal that kids of narcissistic parents um, are constantly worrying that they are narcissistic or that they are like vigilant about it and like really hyper, like really careful with themselves? Like, am I narcissist too? Because, because yeah. it is proven that this is disorder may be genetic um, uh, uh, and maybe, you know, transfer to the next generation. But yeah. is this normal and is, is it part of the I love this question. I have a lot to say about it. So I'm going to try and be speedy. Um, But here's the deal. Let's talk about genetics. Okay. Because scoliosis is something else that we've seen to be diagnosed as genetics. And before I do what I do today, I was a Pilates instructor and a posture alignment specialist. So I have the, that's why I want to talk about scoliosis. Here's my personal belief system also going to be super polarizing, but I don't care. We're here for it. Yeah. I personally believe that it's less genetics as in, oh, it's in your DNA, sucks for you. I think it's less that. And it's way more monkey see, monkey do, right? So I had a a client who had scoliosis back in the day. Her father had scoliosis. What do how do kids learn how to hold themselves and walk by watching their parents, right? Yeah. And so it could it and same thing with narcissistic parents. And I was saying this in my program again yesterday. I'm gonna say it here. It's isn't it understandable that if you grow up in an environment where a parent gaslights you, blame shifts you, triangulates you, reactive abuses you, right? <laughs> reactive abuse tactic that you are going to do those things because that's how you've been treated. Yeah. 
the difference, and I made a post on this today, actually, the difference between someone who is a narcissist and someone who is what is called narcissistically defensive, which is what a lot of uh, children of narcissistic parents struggle with, is that the child, the second they learn that it's unhealthy, they have a desire to do better, right? The narcissist will stay in the, I'm, nope, it's not my fault, not my problem. That's how I was raised. You need to deal with it. Like they stay in, a true narcissist will stay in the, it's not me, it's everybody else. But a child, because that was me. Like I'm, like when I, before I started healing, I had unhealthy relationships partially because of my own triggers and trauma responses that could have been categorized as narcissistic. Yeah. But the difference is that it wasn't intentional. And the second I learned it was unhealthy, I immediately put them down. I was like, okay, I need to be better. Like, this isn't okay, right? Yeah. This element so, of self-reflection, right? And like looking into self and willing to step back and being like, okay, let's look at my part in this. Exactly. Let's, let's look at myself. In exactly. Meeting, like investigative, analytical. Yeah. Exactly. So, you know, with that being said, it's very common and very normal for even people with uh, from narcissistic relationships, but yes, narcissistic parents too, to question, am I the narcissist? Am I the problem here? Because of the gaslighting and blame shifting that they've been exposed to for years. And so even, you know, I was, again, been doing this healing work for eight years and counting. And I still will randomly have the day where it comes into my mind where it's like, are you the narcissist? No. Like still, still every once in a while. And I just have to sit with that part and be like, let's look at the facts, right? Like, let's, <laughs> let's look at the facts. How do you treat your partner? How do you treat your clients? How do you treat your business? And the second I start to do that, I obviously can disprove the fact that I am not a narcissist, but it does. It comes up because you've spent your whole life being told you were the problem. And so it's really weird and again, foreign to, as you start to heal, to step out of that and start to realize, wait, I wasn't the problem. Am I imperfect? Sure. But I'm willing to improve those things about me, but I'm not inherently a problem. Yeah. And you are willing to admit that you are imperfect, right? Which exactly. This will never happen. You will never hear. I'm no. sorry. Thank yeah. you, Alex, so much. This was so juicy, so important <laughs> personally, but also bringing in the subject. And I want to finish that we probably should start with that, you know, nobody is saying that narcissists are, are bad people inherently. I always think and see them as there was this little child who at some point got into some kind of situation that evoke this disorder. Uh, you know, it's a disease is a disorder. It's, uh, you know, and, and we shouldn't definitely not look at those people as you know inherently bad people this is also a trauma response of theirs and exactly there and think about it uh, but this was amazing i so appreciate you and i so appreciate what you are doing and sharing this knowledge and your experience and and helping others i think it's such an important thing at this time um mm. ourselves in that context of course i will share uh, anything any of your links your programs under yeah. the show anything specific you want to call out that you are doing now yeah. or uh, you want to bring attention to? Totally. So there's two things I'll share. One is if any of you who are listening are struggling with anxiety, I have a free web series called Healing the Anxiety Lingering from the Narcissist. You I'll can grab that. 
Yep. Yeah. And then if anyone wants to join my healing hackers community is what it's called, which is a group of people dedicated to healing from narcissistic abuse so that they can have healthy conscious relationships moving forward. I will give you the link to that as well. But it is an amazing program. And I'm really excited to announce that you can join and use Klarna or Afterpay now for my services, which is great. So you get that custom payment plan option too. Oh, so yeah. I will I will send you those links to include in there. Thank you so much, Alex. And again, I appreciate your work and what you are doing for um, here in your community. And for everybody else, until the next time, as usual, love and light. Yes. <laughs>